Sometimes I have this tension in me, and it's a tension between working hard for Jesus within the context of church and taking time to take care of people and love people. And um, the old adage says you can't have your cake and eat it too. And uh, the truth is you can have your cake and eat it too. It's always been like the dumbest saying to me, like, who gets cake and doesn't eat it, right? I mean, that's a stupid thing to do. I've never had a piece of cake in front of me that was gluten-free anyway that I didn't eat. Uh, and so it doesn't make any sense. And uh, oftentimes I, I feel this tension and, and it's like the old adage, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't seem like it should be right, but somewhere inside of me I feel like either I work really hard for Jesus and I serve the church by just laboring and getting after it and making sure that we're doing things better and better or on the flip side of that I can choose to like hang out with people, spend time with people, invest in people, listen to people's problems and you guys who have been in the church long enough know the side that I, I tend towards and it's the side that doesn't involve you, uh, it's the side that involves the big picture and in some ways I'm just made that way to want to see the big picture. Sometimes, I was just thinking about this, I, I sit here on Sunday mornings and it's like it's like go time for a church, you know, and I'm thinking like, about, I, literally this morning I, as we were singing and it's not good, I, I, was, I tried and I, you all know what I'm talking about. You get distracted and your mind goes to work and things like that. It happens to me too, little secret. Uh, sometimes people think I, I worship with my hands and I'm like really into it. It's because I'm trying to like get myself to focus. So I'm talking with my hands when I'm singing to Jesus. But like I started thinking about our vision meeting in July that we have every single year. While we're singing to Jesus at church, which is like the thing that we prepare for all week. And, th and there I was thinking about July and how like I was having good ideas. You'll probably see them in July. But nonetheless, that's weird, right? And so I tend towards this side where I, I am very like task oriented is how some people say it. In seminary, we actually, uh, my professor was kind of an expert on this, I guess. And uh, he had actually created a set of questions. You've seen sets of questions in a million different ways that would determine like where you fit on this, on this scale of a person who really liked to serve Jesus through working or really liked to serve Jesus through being. And specifically, he was talking about being with God. And uh, for me, it's always that scale. I was like on the side, I was just, I want to do something. And, uh, and that something isn't always be involved in people's lives. It's like, create and prepare and think and push vision and market even and things like that. And, and so there's this tension. I'm just, this is me being kind of open with you uh, as a pastor that I, that I really feel like I need to spend time with people. I think it's, it's important. It's biblical. It's, it's kind of in that word pastor, like that I should be pastoring people, taking care of people, shepherding people. Uh, but at the same time, like there's a million things to do every week. If our church is going to move forward, we need to get things done. And, and, and so I feel this like extreme tension. And I think that you see this tension in the history of kind of the church, especially uh, we can see it because we are Americans, the church in America. And if you went back like 60, 70 years ago, churches were like families. They were almost always small and they were very much about the potlucks and hanging out and spending time together. Uh, and then you fast forward from that 20 to 30 years ago and churches were like, how many programs can we do? I mean, how many things can we possibly do? And I saw this, it was, uh, 
it was cool. Uh, we spent time, my grandma and I, with my great-great-uncle the other day. Not many 30-year-olds get to spend time with their great-great-uncle, and it's pretty unique and cool. And we stopped at Village Baptist Church, um, which is not too far from us in Beaverton area, uh, Hillsboro Beaverton area. And my grandma's dad started that church. And, uh, you know, when she was there, they, my my great-grandfather had literally like pulled out the poison oak by himself and they had built this one little room and and it was like a family church and that's how my grandma remembers it and now it's huge and we explored the old building and we were able to sneak into the new building and now it's this giant sanctuary and they had I'm not kidding you like this little what are those spinny things called that advertise stuff one of those spinny things that advertise things and they had pamphlets for their ministries and the thing is like full of stuff there's just stuff going on and so you can see it like you know just my grandma's like this this is different it's not bad it's just very different and you see that tension and now in my generation there's this return to let's just have house church and let's just hang out together and let's just be with each other and spend time with each other and we'll call it church and I feel the tension all the time and I think you can see it in the history of America but I think you see it just in in you and in our church and I think you can experience it if you've ever asked this question is it better for me to go to a small church where they value relationships or a big church where they are getting lots of stuff done and if you've ever like thought about that or wondered that then then you've asked the question I can't have my cake and eat it too. I mean, you've asked the question like, what is right? Is it right to work hard and do more? Or is it right to be investing in each other's lives and taking care of each other and being with each other? We actually, I think that what we're gonna see in, in, in our, in our uh, passage of scripture today is important because I think in our church, uh, just the way that God has, has taken it through the years and the demographic we have here and the way people think about church and how we have, you know, many transplanted Lutherans, it feels like, and some old Baptists and some young kids that are like, what's a denomination? And I think it's all come together that where this tension is very much in our church where like the person next to you is probably like, I wish we would just hang out more. And, and then the person on the other side of you is, is like, man, I just wish we could, we could do more stuff, do more ministries and things like that. And, and you probably just right in this congregation, we very much experience this tension. And I already feel it in my own life because I'm, I'm pretty much obsessed with doing church in the right way and, and in a way that God would command us to do it if he was sitting with us. And, and so I already feel it. And then I look around and I'm like, man, these people want to just hang out and these people want to do more and we can't, I don't have that many hours. And I think you felt the tension too. And, and what's really cool, and I didn't know this until just this week as I was studying the sermon, I, I mean, I, I kind of, I'll just give you a little picture, a little more picture into my thinking. We try to like have a synopsis of what sermon series will be like six weeks before they start. But it's kind of like, well, I think this passage is about this and it's just kind of my thoughts and like, well, these verbs look important and so let's create some artwork, let's start to pick songs and things like that. But it wasn't until this week when I looked at this passage again that I was like, this this solves this tension for me. I mean, this like answers what I've been wondering. And it doesn't tell me how to do it. I'll just be honest with you up front. But it shows me that we can have our cake and eat it too. And it's really, really important that we do eat our cake. Don't take that as diet advice, but you got the, the idea. Last week, we introduced 
this series and, and we talked about how Jesus is talking through a man named John in a vision to seven different churches. And the churches were represented by lampstands or if you're being more honest to the passage, candlesticks. And, and Jesus is the fire, the light of the world and a church, any church that is a Christian church, its job is to uphold Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the morality of Jesus, the, the, uh, the gospel of Jesus for the world to see and to say, look, here is the power and the presence of Jesus. This is what he is about. And so then we turn the page, like probably literally in your Bible, to the beginning of Revelation chapter two, and Jesus starts to talk to these seven churches. And in doing so, it's almost like he's saying, here is what you are currently doing to show me off to the world. It's good. And here is what you're not doing. Here's what is preventing you from being the candlestick that I have called you to be. Here's what is preventing you from letting the light shine from you. And so he says this, and, and to almost every church, he has a positive. This is, this is what you're doing well. This is what's showing me off. This is what I like, and this is what I don't. The first church, the church we'll look at today, is the church in Ephesus. And this is like the most famous church of the New Testament times. And it was a big deal at the time. And it's probably why it's written to first, because it's a, it's a big deal. And, and from there, the, the letters can spread. And we talked about this, how this letter of Revelation was to travel to all the churches. Let me just tell you a little bit about Ephesus. It was prominent in, uh, in its power, and it's, uh, and it's enjoyment of the people of Rome. And so the people really liked it. It was a cool city, uh, think Portland, but it also had the power, say like New York or LA. And so people thought it was great and it really was for its political power. It had become one of the key cities for Christianity. It's where Paul spent most of his time and Paul wrote most of the New Testament letters. And when he's hanging out, when he's resting, when he's not traveling, he's hanging out in Ephesus with the people in church there. Ephesus was filled with symbols of civil false religions and they'd actually asked the, the government if they could build temples in the honor of the gods August and Domitian and they had named Ephesus the guardian of the imperial cult and it was the foremost because of the center of imperial cult in Roman Asia. It's like the hub of false religion at the time and weird it has the strongest biggest church at uh, christian church as well Eph uh, excuse me ephesus uh, hosted a new cult of emperors that opened only about a half a decade before revelation was written that's really important as you read this so there's like new cults coming and people are wondering is this the truth and probably people in the church are wondering is this the truth this sounds familiar doesn't it ephesus honored domitian at the olympic games just before the book of revelation was written it's kind of a cool piece of history if you don't like history sorry but but that's kind of a cool piece of history i mean just before this book is written they are worshiping the emperor of rome at the olympic games it's going to make sense why this is important in a second Ephesus was known for the worship of Artemis and the practice of magic, and you can read about that in the book of Acts, and a huge building was there for Artemis, and I mean, I'm talking like a huge, huge building. It was incredible, the architecture for, for this god. 
And this is, and this is even making it worse for Christians at the time, uh, there, were, uh, a, there was a large population of Jewish people there. And you think, well, Jewish people don't hate Christians, but at the time they did hate Christian people. And so you have this strong church in the middle uh, of a mess of religion and political power and emperor worship. And here's how it begins. Revelation 2.1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now we talked about this last week. Uh, he's writing to an angel that seemingly is involved in the life of a church. We don't know what that means. It definitely doesn't mean that we should worship angels. But somehow, some way, God seems to be using an angel in the midst of our church and each church. And, and so he writes the letter to the angel representing that it's going to the church in Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And so again, we see Jesus as this awesome, powerful figure. He has the stars in his hand representing angels, and he is in the midst of the lampstands, the church. He's involved in church. He is present in church. He's showing himself off through the church. Now, another interesting piece of history, and again, if you don't like history, I'm sorry, but, but I just think this makes the Bible come alive too much. There's actually been Roman coinage found that Domitian uh, created, and, and a lot of times people have their faces on money, but they're usually dead and then somebody else decides that. But he just came into power and he's like, hey, make some more money, new dollar bills, and I want my face on them, right? And so these coins have been found and in one of these, on one of these coins, uh, Domitian is actually holding seven stars in his hands. Now think about that. If you're coming out of an Olympics where he's honored and he's worshiped, and then the book of Revelation says, time out, time out. They can draw a picture of him on money holding seven stars. But our Savior, Jesus, is the one who actually holds the seven stars, who holds the angels in his hand. By him, by him and only him, does the world exist and everything in it. He continues, Revelation 2, 2 and 3. I know your deeds, talking to the church in Ephesus, your hard work and your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This is pretty good. I mean, if Jesus shows up and he says all of these things to our church, then I feel pretty good about our church. Let me just break them down just a little bit because they're really important. Uh, the word deeds and labor are words for work and a beating of the breasts. It means like you're working so hard that it hurts. These people are like getting after it for Jesus. They're not sitting around. They're not taking days off. They're, they're serving in the church. They're doing whatever it takes to see Jesus glorified. Jesus says, hey, I know about that and that's good. I, would, I wrote the question, are we, and, and it's probably better phrased, are you? I mean, are you working hard for the glory of 
Jesus, to the point that somebody could say you are beating your breast, that you are physically toiling in order that, that Jesus might be glorified among the nations. He says that they are practicing perseverance and it's sometimes translated patience and it's a word that means to remain under. And the idea is that no matter how much pressure comes from the outside, from the false religions, from the false teachers, no matter how much pressure comes, these people had persevered and they were continuing to serve Jesus Jesus and to work for Jesus even when it got really, really, really hard. It did not matter what went on around them. They continued to do their best to see that Jesus was glorified, that the church was built, that the kingdom of God was expanded. And then he says that they cannot tolerate wicked people. And we think, well, that's not good. I mean, that doesn't sound very nice. I don't like that. But the word tolerate, and I don't know why it's translated this way, actually means to lift or to bear. And it means that they don't support wicked people. That's an important nuance that might be missed in the NIV translation of the Bible. But it means that not that they hate them, not that they think that wicked people should just go to hell and be done with it. They, I'm sure, based on everything they're doing, they wanted these people to know Jesus and become less wicked, but they, they are not supporting them. They're not paying their bills. They're not helping them in their wickedness. They're not making sure that these people can continue to do the things that are wrong and are bad. And I would just pause and say that sometimes in Christian circles, we really we really like that word, cannot tolerate, and it's a mistranslation, and maybe it's missed in our thinking. Maybe sometimes we should tolerate and love and care for wicked people, but make sure that we are not supporting them and uplifting them and helping them in the cause. Pretty big deal. Now, I, I've been around... Uh, People, Christians in Christian circles, and they, they look at somebody that they know that's living in sin, a Christian, and they, they think because of what America says about how we are to be open to everything and just accepting of all, we go, hey, yeah, it's cool, man, and we pat people on the back, and we literally, literally, literally support people as they are living in sin. I've seen it like where people are living with somebody that's not their, their spouse and they're having sex with them and people are like, oh, great for you, man. Like, let me know if I can help you move. Yeah. Like, that's supporting sin. I mean, don't help it. Don't be part of it. Take a stand. And these people are doing that. Doesn't mean they hate them. Doesn't mean that they're against them. Simply means that they are not supporting the sin in these people's lives. He also says that they have tested those who claim to be apostles. We don't run into this on a daily basis here. Let me rewind. Let me read you some verses. Just a second. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love doesn't support evil. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 2 John 1. Whom I love in the truth, and that phrase can actually be translated, and I think it's one of the most important phrases in all the Bible for our current culture, truthing in love, and I've preached on that before. It's telling the truth in a loving way. It's showing the truth in a loving way. And now he says, you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. An apostle is somebody who travels around and plants churches, does their best to expand the kingdom of God, to tell people about Christianity, in other words. But at the time that the, the book of Revelation was written, what had happened is a lot of people saw an opportunity. They're like, well, 
those apostles, the real ones, Paul, he has respect and honor in communities. And so they came in and they started teaching false things in order that they could get money and power and fame. And I think we've seen this too often in the American pastoral world, like where people are preaching and teaching and starting churches in order that they can become famous, in order that they can have lots of money. And sometimes they teach false things. And the biggest lie that we hear in, in kind of the American false apostle, if you will, church culture today is, hey, give lots of money to me or to my radio program or to my TV program, and God will give you lots and lots of money back. And you know what that is? That's people saying, I want your money. That's what it is. Don't give it to you. I, I Don't give it to them. It's like, I want your money, so I'm going to tell you a lie. That's it. That's what it is. If you ever hear give lots and lots of money and you will get money back, then it is a lie and these people are really false apostles. There's nothing biblical about that statement. Now, let me tell you the truth. I, I, I think that you should give money to our church if you are a part of our church, but you may struggle and may not be able to go out to eat as much and you may think, man, that's hard that I don't have that money anymore. You're not going to get rich from it, but I think you ought to give money for the purpose of Jesus and to build his church. I think that's an important thing to do, but there's no promise on the end that you're going to get that much money back or more money or whatever it might be. It's just, it's not in the Bible. You should do it from a heart that says, I want to honor God even when it's difficult. And so go ahead, give lots and lots of money to our church if you want to, but, uh, but no promise on a return except for a spiritual one. Revelation uh, or excuse me, you have persevered, he says, and endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. These people, if I can just say it this way, are working their butts off for Jesus. I mean, these people are striving to see the church built and God's kingdom expanded, and it seems to be working. And it's fascinating because when Paul writes the book of Ephesians, which takes place before Revelation, and when he writes First and Second Timothy, these people were struggling to not give in to the false teachers. We can read about it. It's right there. But now they have learned to fight against the false teaching, to not be lazy, and to serve God with all of their might. And then Jesus says, yet I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first, which is more often known as your first love. You have forsaken your first love. Now, when I've preached on this passage in the past and when I've heard it talked about, what it's always said is that the love that they had at first was a reference to the first time they knew the truth of Christianity, to the love of God, really, and excitement about, oh, Jesus died for me. Most commentators do not think that that's the truth. It's actually a reference to their love for one another. He's saying, hey, you have rejected your love for each other. You have learned to fight against false doctrine. You have learned to do great things. You are working hard for me. You're persevering even uh, at, to the point of hurting. And you are living for me even when it's so difficult with all the surrounding religions. But you do not care about each other anymore. It's interesting because you can look, Ephesians 1.15, if you didn't pick up from the last thing I said, the book of Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus. Can you hear that? Ephesians, Ephesus, right? And it's written before, and it's interesting because Paul in the very first chapter of that book says, 
uh, and I, I'm gonna read it off of here because I wrote it down in the wrong translation. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and, check this out, your love for all God's people. When the church was new and, and Paul's writing the letter of Ephesians to them, he's like, I have heard about how much you love other Christians, how much you care about other Christians, how much you support other Christians. And then you fast forward 30, 40 years later and you see that, that Jesus looks at him and says, you've lost that. You're doing incredible stuff, in some ways better stuff than you did before. But you don't love each other anymore. You don't care about each other anymore. It's interesting because I see this. I see this in churches all over. And I've had the opportunity to, to preach. Um, before I was the pastor here and I preach pretty much weekly, uh, I, I had the opportunity to preach at other churches in our denomination. And a lot of times they were small churches and they, and they clung to uh, tradition, it seemed, and uh, their version of truth, it seemed. And, and you go in and you just like, you could feel it. Like nobody seems to care about each other here. And you've heard stories, right, about people that, uh, that are, are clinging to truth, but they just don't care about one another anymore. They just don't care. It's like, well, we're here because we know things. And I don't know this guy, but I know the Bible. And I don't know her either, but I know the scripture and the truth of God. And so we will meet here and we will do this in a way that honors God. But I'm not talking to those people because I don't really like them and I don't really know them and I'm not invested in their lives. And so I've seen this in small churches where, like the church in Ephesus, there's truth. Truth is important. Truth is good. But truth without any love, any connection, any devotion to one another. But I've also seen it in big churches. I've had the opportunity to, to speak in, in bigger churches. And um, one thing at, a, at one church in particular that I've spoken at on numerous occasions that I always noticed is that our church, which is much smaller, probably about a tenth of the size of that church, uh, was bigger five minutes after the church service than their church because people, I would pray, amen, they do one more song, and people are just like, boom, out the door. They're not talking to each other. They give you the handshake on the way out the door, but that's about it, and it's like back in the cars, back to their lives, and they, and they, they don't, they don't they're not going to be there until the next time that the church puts on something that they can feel filled up by some program. And, and so I've seen it in the small churches with their truth, but I've also seen it in big churches where it's all about the program. We show up, we enjoy the show of it, and if they offer something on Wednesday, we'll show up and enjoy that show too, but I'm not really gonna be invested in these people's lives, and I know some names, but I don't really care about these people. I'm not really invested in these people. They've simply lost their first loves. And I've seen it on both sides. This is not a big church, small church issue. This is a, we're gonna do something, we're gonna hold to something, and we're going to forsake the love that we have for each other. Probably the very thing that happened at the beginning of the church was a handful of people saying, I love you, and I wanna see you grow in Jesus, and I wanna see other people know in Jesus, and I'm just gonna love, and then it becomes something that nobody ever intended for it to be. 
Our love for each other is of the extreme most important. And churches, I think all Christian churches start off with the right intention. They, they start off with the right goals. We, we're gonna love each other. We're gonna love other people. We're gonna, we're gonna do our best to see God uh, loved by more people and to see these people grow and know Jesus as their savior. And then something along the way flips in so many churches. And it's rare. It's rare where you see a church that is getting a lot done, but investing in people. And it's rare where you see a church that is holding to truth and investing in people. But Jesus is saying both of these things are really, really important. And here's his solution. Revelation 2.5 is the solution. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And then he offers this pretty severe warning. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. First, the warning. Uh, Jesus is saying either uh, you will no longer be a church or I will no longer be in your presence as a church. You might be an organization of people that get together and hang out, but I'm not going to be there. And I think that, that actually, I think just my kind of history in church and involvement in church, I, I think the latter is more often true where you can go to a church and be like, man, that was a great light show, but Jesus isn't here. Or man, those people, they, they really hold the truth, but Jesus isn't here. And I think what happens, I, I really believe this, is that Jesus, when he sees both both us working hard and clinging to truth and doing our best and loving each other and caring about each other and investing in each other's lives, then what happens is he's like, I will shine from that candlestick very, very brightly. And I think people are drawn to the light when they see a church where Jesus is just glowing. And what I think people do is they're like, man, we wanna see Jesus lifted high. We wanna see him shine bright. And they go, let's do a bunch of stuff. Let's hold the truth. They're not getting anything, and they're not loving each other, and he doesn't shine. Or they're like, let's just hang out and have fun. And Jesus is like, well, I need you to do something. I mean, I want you to actually make an effort here. And he's like, I'm not gonna shine very bright. And we rely on ourselves going one side or the other, trying to have our cake or eat our cake. And we, we say, we'll, we'll do our best to make Jesus shine. And Jesus is saying, I will shine if you do what I ask you to do, but I will not shine. In fact, I will leave or I will shut down your church if you don't love each other. It's pretty harsh. And his solution is this. Consider how far you have fallen. Now we know that they loved each other. That's all we can really know about how far they have fallen. Any other, any other ideas is pretty much a guess. They were a church that took care of each other. They loved each other. They were investing in each other's lives. We know about the very earliest churches that they met in each other's homes daily. And, so that, and they were giving of their possessions in order to take care of each other. And so there was probably at least some of that going on in Ephesus where people were like, you have a need, I love you. I will do my best to meet that need. You're struggling, I will come over and pray for you. You have a problem, I will do my best to help you solve it. And then he says, and then this goes right along with that. He says, do the things you did at first. I mean, I would, and this, I would just love. If I could just get a book that talks about the things they did at first, then that would be valuable to me and I would read it. Even if it wasn't in audio form, which is normally where I get my book information, I would still read this book because I would love to know the things that the church of Ephesus did at first. What did that look like? What did that feel like? Who was involved? How did it, how was it structured? I just wanna know what they did at first. But here's, here's my guesses. Here's what I think 
happened at first. I think that they got together a lot and they prayed together and they called each other, except not called, but they checked on each other and they invested in each other and they did whatever they could do to tell others about Jesus and, and to show people in their church that they loved each other and that they wanted them to grow in Jesus, that they wanted them to be more like Jesus, that they wanted them to be more like God wanted them to be, uh, more peace, joy, love, less sin, all of those things. And I think it would have been just the most simple stuff I think they had the right idea by building the church and working for the church, but I think at first it just looked like people getting together and praying for each other and having meals together and hanging out and loving each other and trying to tell other people to love Jesus too. My best guess, and Jesus says, look, repent, that means go the other direction, stop not loving each other, if I can use a double negative of sorts, and, and do the things you did at first. He doesn't say stop all the other stuff, stop working hard, stop holding the truth, those are important, but also, and you need to make sure you did what you did at first. He finishes this, and we'll come back to that in, in just a second. Um, actually, I don't wanna come back to that, I wanna, I wanna go right to this. Uh, here's, here's what I think about us. Let me just go right into this. I think that if we are going to model what they did at first. I, this is, I really believe, and I, I've been saying this and I'm talking about it and I'm gonna talk about it for a long time is just get used to me saying this. I think that this year is going to bring great changes to our church. I think we will do more. I think that there will be more ministries that we are doing. I think that we are going to see more people in this church. I think we're going to start baptizing people on a far more regular basis. I think that we are going to be more well-known in this community for the work that we are accomplishing. And I think those things will start in this next year. I've always believed that since I started at the pastor, as the pastor here. But there's a fear in it. And I just said this to Brandon the other day, my fear, and, it's, and I don't know why God's given me this because usually as a young pastor, it's like, how big can we get? But I've always thought like, man, I'm gonna miss these days. I, Graham's car broke down the other day. Graham's a quiet guy. He probably doesn't want me telling you that, but I already did. Um, but Graham's car broke down the other day and he called me up and I was able to give him a ride to work. And, and, uh, and even as I was like driving back, I'm thinking like, man, as this church continues to build, that won't be something I can just do on a whim. I know that. And I'll, I will miss it. I will miss the relationships that we have at this church. I will miss the things that I can currently do right now, the time that I can spend just hanging out. Someday I know it won't be the case. It won't be. I just, I know what God has for me and the, and the vision that God has given me for my life. And I know that it won't always be like it is right now. And I will miss that. However, as we move forward in the next year, I think that we need to do our absolute best to continue to make sure that we have the right heart and that we do not lose our first love. We have such a, a loving church right now. We can do better and I hope that we'll do better and what I'm about to say in a second, I think could help us do better. But, but we have a church where people care about each other. I know your problems, at least some of them and I can come pick you up from work and if I couldn't have done it, I could have called somebody else and they would have picked Graham up from work and, and, and there's, these, there, there's these relationships that are good. But as our church builds, what might happen if we are not really, really careful is that we will start to say, yeah, we're getting things done. I got a job to do. And we'll stop caring about each other. 
So here's some things that you should already know about, but uh, some of them you don't. But, but I really, th- these, are, these are things that, that I think will help us ensure that this never happens. And, and, and the first is get in a connect group. I mean, I'm, I don't like to like push our programs uh, usually in my sermons. It's not my style. But truthfully, if it wasn't for me being in a connect group and stopping at least once a week to say I will spend time with people, then I would just fill my time up getting stuff done. I know that my personality is one where I could easily not see anybody that's a, a Christian besides Bryn, and I could never have a spiritual conversation and do all this stuff for Jesus, isn't that funny? And just get after it for Jesus and never never relate or talk about or have somebody invest in my life. And connect groups are wonderful. They really have been for, for us as a church being involved in each other's lives and making sure that we're growing in the love for one another and making sure that the things that happen at the very beginning of this organization, praying, spending time with each other, helping each other, those things continue to happen in our congregation. And as we get bigger, this will be more and more important. I mean, if we're really going to do the things that I think God will have us do in this next year and we start to add ministries, we'll just get busier as a church. And if you're not stopping and pausing and saying, I'm gonna go connect with people, I'm gonna really be a part of people's lives, then, then we will lose it. And Jesus someday will say, I'm not gonna be there. That's a wonderful show you put on. You guys do lots of cool stuff, but I'm not gonna be a part of it because that is not what I've called you to. I've called you to work hard and love each other. Here's the other thing. We in the next year, probably starting after softball season because come out to a softball game, but we are going to have some type of fun activity every single month. It might be... it might be a really short thing. It might be a cool thing. It might be something stupid. It might be something, it will be fun, but you know, something stupid. It might be something more like spiritual feeling, but we will do something where we get together and we are just hanging out together. At a meeting a while ago, it was said, and I thought it was just too profound for kind of our society and what we're trying to do as a church. Somebody said, I have trouble having spiritual conversations with people I've never laughed with. And so we're gonna do in this next year as we, as we kind of move forward after softball season, come out to softball. That's like the, one of the great, awesome, connecting things we do as a church. If you're a girl, we really need you to play softball. I don't care if you've never caught a ball before. If you're a guy, we could use you. Um, but girls, like every girl in our church, it should be a requirement. We're not doing that for membership or anything, but it should be. But come out to a game and hang out and laugh with people. And there's lots to laugh at when we play softball as a church. I can tell you, that right there and so come out hang out spend time eat some sunflower seeds enjoy the sun but after softball ends we will do something once a month we've been talking about this in our transition team meetings in order that we can get together and we can laugh together so that it's not purposeless we don't we're not in the business of having fun that's not what we're here for we're here to help people grow in their relationship with Christ and to become Christians but we will we will have these these events and there hardly be events we'll have these hangout times in order that that we can laugh with each other so that we can have spiritual conversations together and help each other grow and be there for each other when when we need each other. And the last thing is, and and my dad mentioned this uh, when he was making announcements, was we want you to come to these prayer meetings. I I think, and and I've been convicted of this a while, and it's hard because we don't have a building and renting space is difficult, but, but we can at least go out to our property in the summer and pray together. 
And, and we can pray for each other and we can pray for this community. And I think that, that one of the most important things as far as continuing in your first love is prayer. It reminds you who you serve, God in heaven, and it reminds you who you serve with, and that is the people sitting next to you. I'm telling you that, that one of the most intimate things that you can do with the person is to pray with them. It is absolutely, it is a bonding thing. It bonds us to God and it bonds us to each other. And, and so I know this first one, we just, it was kind of like a, Easter came and we, we really didn't push it or advertise. If you can come out and pray this Wednesday, and I, it's, this is how important I think it is that we come to these prayer meetings. Bryn said to me this morning, very literally this morning, she said, Hey, the first Blazer game might be on Wednesday night, and I'm, I'm picking out my clothes, and I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. Like, what did I do? And, and in my, I had this wrestling match, like, inside of my soul this morning, and I'm like, we could cancel. We haven't really advertised it. I mean, I, that was my first thought, and I apologize to Jesus and to you that that was my first thought. And then I said, no, 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 this, this is that important, and besides, the Blazers need our prayer. Um, and this, this is... This is that important that I was willing to miss the Blazer game. And then I checked ESPN and it's Tuesday and Thursday. So I'm gonna have to skip everything else in the church this week. But I'll be there Wednesday night uh, to pray. And so if you come out, if it's, if it's raining, I don't know, we'll have umbrellas and we'll squeeze as many people into the thing as we can. But, but, but uh, come out and pray with us because I think it's that important uh, that, that we connect more with each other and, and with God and we start to ask for him to do things. I really believe that, that if we are gonna do the things things that I think we're going to do in this next year, then we will not do them on our own. It will be God doing them uh, through us. He continues, Revelation 2.6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We have no idea who these guys are. It's a guess if anybody tells you. Uh, it's a, probably some form of false teaching and, and the church really doesn't like the false teaching. One of the, the ideas, one of the guesses is that the Nicolaitans were actually a group that said it's okay to practice sexual immorality, uh, that that's not a big deal to God. And it sounds like a lie that we hear a lot in, in the church today about uh, homosexuality and what the Bible says about that and about premarital sex and about divorce. Uh, and I, I think that these guys would have fit in with some of the lies that are told today. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and commit adultery if it makes you feel better. Go ahead and be uh, in a homosexual, uh, practicing homosexual relationship if you want to. Don't worry about it. And go ahead and, and have sex with somebody that you haven't married yet if it makes you feel good because God won't really care. And, and he's like, you guys don't like that, and, and we don't either. And, and then he continues, Revelation 2, 7. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise in the paradise of God. He says, if you are victorious, if you will continue on, then I will give you eternal life in perfection. And that is what makes it all worth it. You ask this question like, why? I mean, so he takes the lampstand, Chad. You're the pastor at the church. I'll go find another one. I'll be okay without you. But he's saying, look, if you'll be victorious as a Christian, then you get this eternal life. And if you reverse that and you flip it, what he's saying is, hey, as a Christian, you have these responsibilities. A real Christian is going to work hard for the church and for the kingdom of God. And a real Christian is gonna love and invest in the other people that they go to church with. It's gonna happen. And so to say that, oh, I'm a Christian who doesn't go to church, that's so dumb. 
I just sorry, but it's so dumb. It's it, I mean when the when the church is this is now I'm just ranting, but when the church is referred to as the body of Christ, I mean, have you ever said like I love that guy's head, but the rest of him is is dumb, and I'm never gonna hang out. I, I will hang out with your face, but I will not hang out with the rest of you. Have you ever said that to a person? And, and would they really like you? I mean, I mean, it'd be worse if you said it the other way, like I could do without your face, and the rest of you is okay. That would be worse because you'd be calling them ugly. But but really like that's stupid I mean it's so dumb and when Jesus says the churches are bride and people that are like well I'm not gonna be you know I'm not gonna show up and hang out with the bride like come on like if you if you ever said to me I really don't like Bryn then I would really not like you I mean that that's the honest truth and I would act like it because I'm a pastor and I'd be nice to you but I would you would not be my friend on a deep level anymore it's the truth and that's what the church has described as. So I'm sorry for that rant. I don't usually rant when I preach. And if it's the first sermon you've ever heard, then forgive me. But, but that's the truth. And, and so Jesus is saying, look, as a Christian that is victorious and persevering, then you need to be working hard for the church, for Jesus' body, for his bride. And you need to be loving and investing in the church. And that's the people uh, that you sit next to on Sunday morning. So the question is, what, what, what do you need to do? I mean, what is it that this sermon does for you? And I've already said, come get in a connect group. I mean, you can sign up for a connect group anytime you want. And, and the, other, the other thing is, come to the prayer meetings. And the other thing is, when we have fun things, show up. And, and if I could just pause, and not just the young people, because a lot of times we've found that. When we do something that's fun and it's not really work or spiritual, then 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 it's young people only. And we've also found sometimes that, that young people don't show up to get stuff done. And so uh, that's not as true anymore in our church, but that used to be more true. And so, so come and be a part of it no matter your age and have fun together and, and come and pray and join a connect group if you're not in one because chances are you, you're not spending a lot of time reaching out and calling people and asking how people's days are. And a connect group is a great place to start, not a great place to finish, but a great place to start. And so here, here it is. For you, besides that, I mean, just if I could put it in one little phrase, this is what we need from you at our church. We need you to labor and love. You can't be on one side of this. And, and it's easy to want to be on one side. I mean, if I was going to pick a side, I would be right here. It's so much easier for me to labor than it is for me to love. Now, I love you guys, but I mean like in a real loving way where I'm investing and I'm involved. It, it is really easy for me just to labor, just to say, I'm going to get stuff done. I'm going to plan. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to do everything that the church needs to get done. It's much harder for me to love. And I know there's lots of people in our church that are on this side right here. It, it's like, well, I will show up and I will help and I will be involved and I will do things for the church, but I'm not really going to invest and get involved in relationships. On the flip side, people different than me and probably the people who are most bothered by me in the way that I do things is we have lots of people who, who love. They're invested and they're, they hang out with people and uh, they're great connectors of people and, you, and they want to spend time with people and, and they'll pray for people and they'll encourage people. And these are the people that, that I, I mean, I like all, I, if you're doing either of these, I really like you, but these people make me feel good, you know? I mean, these are the people that make me feel good, like they really want to be around me. And, and we have people that, that that are great at this, but they're not really doing anything. You know, I mean, this is important, but they're not like helping our church be built. And, and what Jesus is saying to this church and the people in it is that you need to labor and love. 
It's not one or the other. It can't be one or another, or one or the other. And the truth is, this needs to be a spiritual decision for you. As our church grows, as our church is built, as, as more and more happens in our church, there, it's gonna be impossible for the leaders of this church to be knocking on your door saying, hey, are you loving? Hey, are you laboring? And we'll advertise and we'll push our connection course and our serve course and try to get you involved. But the truth is, this is a very spiritual decision and it's important not just for you. This is the big thing. It's important not just for you. It's important for us and it's important for the flame burning brightly at Creekside Bible Church. You say, well, it doesn't matter if I call that person. Well, yes, it does, because if, if you don't do it and everybody else doesn't do it, then Jesus is leaving. He's going to go. He's going to be like, hey, you guys have fun on Sunday mornings. You should stay home and watch football. I mean, honestly, that, that is how Jesus feels about some churches. I, I know it with my heart. Like He's like, just stay home or go to a different church because you, I'm not there anymore. And if you don't make a decision to love and be involved and invest, then he's leaving. And if you don't make a decision to, to pour out and build and start, and strive and labor and toil in order that our church can be built, then we're not gonna accomplish the things that he's called us to accomplish. And it's really, this is a lie. This is the lie of modern day American Christianity. One of the biggest lies is that you can be an individual Christian and it doesn't affect anybody else. It's a lie. If you say, it doesn't matter if I labor and I love, you're lying to yourself because this church needs you. It needs you to do both of these things. And so what I hope, what I'm asking, if you're a part of this church, is that you will make a decision to labor and love. And if you're like, well, I don't know how I'm, I should be laboring. And we have the, the serve course coming up and the sign-up sheet's already in the back table and we'll help you try to discover that. I'm willing to meet with you. If you've been through the serve course and you're not doing anything because we haven't figured anything out yet uh, because I, I meet with everybody who goes through that course, then, then just call me and say, like, I really need to do something. You know how every pastor in the whole wide world would love to hear those words? I mean, and and there, there are people in this church who are like that, but there's not enough people like, like, just call me. I mean, we're small enough right now. You can still do that. I mean, call me and say, I would love to do something. And I would say, sure, because I would love not to do something. And, and, and then on the other side of this, you just love people. And we have the connection course coming up, our other course. And you can also sign up for that in the back. But, but just in your own soul, say like, who can I invest in? Who can I connect with? And the truth is, you're never gonna be able to connect with every person in our congregation on a deep level, but you can find some people and you can say, I'm gonna invest in them, I'm gonna let them invest in me. It might start at a connect, at a connect group, but, but even beyond that, I'm gonna write them a letter, I'm gonna make a phone call, I'm gonna be a part of their lives. I'm gonna have refrigerator rights so that I can just go over and open their fridge and, and just eat whatever I want. I did once here, oh man, I'm rambling, but I did once here, that the, the more people that have refrigerator rights within a church, the better the church will be. And I thought it was stupid at the time and I hated the church book that it was in, but I think it's absolutely true. And so I do make a point of opening up everybody's refrigerators when I go to their houses to see what I can eat. And, and, and if you don't have that with anybody in our church, where you can just go and just, just look in there and be like, I'm drinking your Pepsi, then again, not a diet tip, but uh, but... Th then, then maybe something's missing, even if you're doing a whole bunch of stuff. 
I'm not saying you have to open the refrigerator. You might be like a person that that's so, like you're thinking, well, Chad's a jerk. Like that's so unpolite. And I'm not, I'm not saying you literally have to open up the refrigerator, but you know what I mean. You need to make a decision in your heart of hearts, apart from the programming of this church, apart from the things that we advertise from the stage, you need to make a decision to say, I'm going to labor and love. And if, if you're looking at this church and you're saying, well, I don't think I can labor here. I don't like the stuff they're doing. I don't like the future. Then go, go to a different church. I'll recommend one to you, honestly. In any city that you choose, I will recommend for you a church. And if you're like, I don't love these people, you're an idiot because we have the coolest church in the world. And so, um, so figure, you just go and, and like, I don't know, like just read a book about loving or something. I don't know, read the Bible because this is a very lovable church. And so if you can't labor here, find another church. If you can't love the people here, then, then, then you need help. And so, um, and, and so that's how I'm gonna end this sermon. Uh, will you pray with me? Lord, I, I just, I, I love the people in this church and God, you know that I'm here at this church because I believe in its future and what you wanna do here and I I believe that you do, God, already burn in this church. But God, we wanna see you burn brighter and we wanna see you burn bigger so that, that the world, God, is drawn to a relationship with you and so that we, God, our souls that can be so cold and so dark, God, can be lit up and warmed by, by your presence. And so, Lord, I pray that each of us would look into our hearts and, and, God, we would know if we need to do a better job of loving, of connecting, or, God, if we need to do a better job of working hard for this congregation. And, God, you know, I'll just, again, just you know, Lord, that it, that it is easier for me to just get wrapped up in the doing of stuff. God, it's so easy for me just to be task-oriented and, and to forget not forget, but to neglect, I guess, God, the relationships that I have in this church. And Lord, it's not because it's not because I don't care, because I desperately care. And a lot of my hard work is is because I do care, God, and I care so strongly. But sometimes, Lord, I just need to return to my first love. I need to go back to the things I did at first before anybody called me a pastor, before I got on a stage, God, just investing and taking care of and hanging out with people, Lord. I do thank you for the examples of both of these things in our congregation, Lord. I mean, I, just as I talk, and I won't say their names out loud, but as I talk, I think of people who labor so well for you, God, and they work so hard for your kingdom and, and to build this church. And I'm so thankful for that. And God, on the other side, I know people, and there's so many people in our church, God, that that just care, that deeply care about others in our congregation. And some of them have cared from like the first time they showed up in our midst is like, hey, and you could tell that they cared about the people sitting next to them. And so I thank you for that. And Lord, at the same time as I thank you for that, I, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would cause people to look in themselves right now and ask the question, do I need to labor more? Do I need to love more? And they're not opposites, God. And I hope we, we know that by now through this passage. They are not opposites. They are two separate things. Sometimes they go together. I shouldn't say separate. They are two things, God. They are two activities that should go hand in hand, Lord. 
It should be woven together, God. And I pray that they would be in the lives of every person, every person who calls Creekside Bible Church their home. I pray these things in your name. Amen.